Amen. Amen. That bless you. And can we uh, just show our appreciation for our worship team this morning? Rick, thank you. Team. You know, since, uh, since Rick officially joined us in July, I, I think it's um, objectively true that uh, we are singing more. Uh, not just watching people uh, sing to us, but as I sit out here, I, I feel like we're singing more. And that's a, that's a great thing. It's really encouraging. Um, I don't, I'm sure you're aware, most of you are aware, the Bible actually commands us to sing. It's not just an option as we gather, but uh, the, the word commands us to sing to one another and to be able to hear one another, uh, remind one another of these wonderful truths. So thank you uh, for that worship team this morning. Hey, my name is Ross. Uh, if you're our guest this morning, a special welcome to you. And we want to welcome you to join us tonight again. We don't normally have a Sunday night service, but we're going to have a great party tonight, a bash, where we're going to baptize about five or six folks um, not many of us in this room could invite the entire church over to our home, but the Bartex can, and it's a great home and a, and a, and a great pool, so bring your swim trunks and uh, bring the kids and, and swim. It's in Starwood. As you leave today, we're going to have uh, little cards that have the address on there so you can join us at 4 o'clock. I hear there's some type of game today as well. I don't know anything about that, but I'm sure it will be on, so don't uh, use that as a lame excuse the first week of the NFL, Okay. Um, I also want to bring to your attention, in addition to singing and scripture and the table that we, are, we will participate in after the sermon this morning, we want to continue not only to be a singing church and a Bible teaching church, we want to be a praying church, and we're going to have some folks at the back that are available, uh, particularly in light of today's message, to pray with you. Uh, maybe you've got a decision coming up, maybe it's just a hard season. Uh, man, I don't know why you wouldn't uh, take advantage of people praying for you. So. Uh, do that as well. In addition to those aspects of our worship, I want to remind us this morning on the heels of the end of summer to give as a part of your worship. We have encountered the typical summer slump in our giving, which means uh, we've often, most of us have gone on vacation and spent too much money and perhaps forgotten uh, to worship God through our, our tithe, through our stuff. So you can do that online as well as there's baskets that are now attached to the back wall. You can put your connection cards as well as your tithes and offerings. So Adzel, thank you for writing that check out right now. I appreciate that. And that's really the uh, quick response to that. God bless you. Uh, I'm going to ask Jason Anglin if he would just pray for us as we open up God's word, pray for our church as the Lord provides for us and uh, all that stuff. Thanks, Jason. Please bow your heads with me. Father God, I just want to say thank you for this day. Thank you for this family. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, Lord, I want to ask that you please bless our giving. Let us remember that uh, everything we have belongs to you. It's just on loan to us. It's not ours, and it was yours first and will always be yours forever. And I just want to say thank you now for uh, filling the coffers of this church because I know it will happen uh, because your will is always good and great, and this place is doing great things for you. And thank you so much, Father, for being with us and blessing us and uh, blessing our pocketbooks and blessing this church. I want to ask that you be with, with us specifically because this is also used for our missions 
And Lord, missions are so important. We have so many different missions that we support. And I just want to pray that as we support these missions as a church, that we can just continue to give more and more and more to the point to where our giving to missions could be just as big as our budget for the church. What a day that will be and how phenomenal that will be, Father. So thank you for blessing us and blessing our church. And then, Lord, I want to also ask that you be with Ross. I'm so thankful for the time that he has spent preparing for this lesson to bring us today. And now that he's done all that work, I want to ask that you just set him down, fill him with your spirit, and let the words that come out of his mouth come directly from you, Father, that our ears are open and that we hear exactly what you want us to hear and touch our hearts in the way you want us to be touched through the words that you're going to put through Ross's mouth this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, let's all say amen with Jason, why don't we? Amen. He's the guy that you hear on the recording if you listen to the podcast. Amen. We love you, Jason. Hey, in light of, in light of the bash today, I want to begin our message this morning uh, in the deep end of the pool, so to speak. Okay, right in the deep end of the pool, and then as we get to the middle and the end of the message, we'll kind of get where we can stand and it'll be more practical, but I want to begin in the deep end of the pool by asking a question of us and uh, asking a question that I think you should pose to your friends, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, family, uh, particularly those that may not believe in the good news of Jesus. And here's the question this morning that I want to open us up with, that is... What's at the bottom of your faith? Okay, deep into the pool. If you could kind of scratch through all the stuff on top and you get down to the very bottom, what's at the bottom or what's behind at the back of your faith? All right, let me help explain to you where I'm going with that question. I think you ought to ask that of your friends. Hey, you have a faith or maybe you have a unfaith, but what's at the bottom at that of that faith if you if you peel it all back because here's here's the comparison that I want to draw this morning if we go back to ancient times or even many places today that have kind of a polytheistic polytheistic easy for me to say polytheistic view of gods so there's you, know, you think about greek mythology you think about ancient polytheistic religions okay and they there were sacrifices there were things that you could do to appeal the various gods right if you needed uh, fertility, or if you needed uh, the sun or the rain for your crops, you could go to those gods and you could appeal to those various gods in polytheism. And if you take the sacrifices away and you take the prayers and you take the oblations and all the things that you're doing to appease those gods, when you get down to the bottom of it, what do you have at the very bottom of that faith? Well, let me suggest uh, to our polytheistic friends that what you have at the bottom of your faith, hang in with me here, okay, guys? I see the middle school kids back there on the back row with Elijah. Hang in here, okay? This is helpful for you to think about, helpful for you to talk about with your friends. At the bottom of polytheism is, get this, a war between gods, a territorial clash of power. When you put it all aside and you get down to the, really, the core of it, the bottom of it, that's what you have in polytheism. Think about Eastern religions. Think about Buddhism and uh, the striving for nirvana, to escape, to become one with the universe, to experience this enlightenment called nirvana. If you dig through all the meditation and you get down to the bottom of it, what you have ultimately at the bottom of everything is an energy. 
an experience of nirvana or moksha or deliverance or oneness with this cosmic energy. Are you hooked now? When you get to the bottom of it, I would say that's what it's about. If you think about strict monotheism, and I'm thinking here about Islam, you think about a God who's solely one, and his idea is to bring all things into submission to himself. At the bottom of Islam is a singular God, and ultimately that God is about power. A singular God about power. What we have in Christianity, if you peel it all back, if you peel back the teachings of Jesus, if you peel back the Ten Commandments, if you get to the bottom of it, at the very core, at the back of it, what you have is not energy, is not territorial gods fighting over things, but what you have at the very bottom, at the very back of Christianity is a three-in-one God. You have a community of one. A community of one. Now, we're at the deep end of the pool. Why am I saying that? Because that says something about the ultimate reality of life. And at the, if at the bottom of Christianity is a three-in-one God, what's a, a better way to say that is at the back of Christianity is a relationship. A relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's why Christians can say in truth, God is love. God is love. Dave shared with us last week, and he, he used that expression. And I think we have to help our friends understand that when we say God is love, we're not just, we're not just saying, we're not claiming that God is simply loving towards people. We are saying that at the rock bottom of it all, from the very beginning, God is love as Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Son and the Father. There is at the bedrock, at the bottom foundational level of our faith, there is a relationship. There is love. And you know what that means for you and me? It means because we were created in the image of God at the deepest core of ourselves, at our deepest need, there is a need for relationship. We are made to be in community because our God is one in community and he made us from the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, to be in his image. And so we are Christians of all people should be the most communal, relational people of all. Christians of all people should be the most relational, communal people of all because we are following in the footsteps of this three-in-one God who exists eternally in relation one to another, serving one another, shining the spotlight on one another. And it's with that background that we're in our series this fall, which we're calling Dwell Together. Uh, those of you that have been around know that for 2018, we've had a key word, a theme word, and that word has been dwell. And we began 2018 by talking about this radical thing that happened where God came to dwell among us. The second person of the Trinity put on skin, he came and radically identified, radically dwelt with us. And then we, as we studied through the first few chapters of, of Acts, we saw this radical indwelling of the Holy Spirit, how God, through the Holy Spirit, has come to dwell, to reside in believers. And we have this personal presence of God through the Holy Spirit, unlike any other faith. 
where God is constantly walking with us, convicting us, encouraging us. And that has led us to this fall emphasis on this radical idea of community that follows right out of the very nature of this God who is relationship. So to become a Christian is not just to have your sins forgiven and go to heaven when you die. To come into a relationship with God through Jesus is to be born into a family, to be born into the church as we sang about this morning. So Christians of all people should have this radical understanding of what it means to be in relationship with one another. The illustration I used a couple weeks ago was Jonathan Kelly. Jonathan is here. Mom's on duty this morning with new baby Paisley. But uh, every baby ordinarily that I know is born into a family. Now, they might lose their family, but the way God has designed it is that babies are born into families where they can be nourished, protected, fed, cared for, trained up, right? And God has brought us to salvation in himself so that we wouldn't just be alone, but we would be nourished and supported and encouraged together in a family. The church and community is not optional as we read the New Testament, but it's fundamental to the bottom, back, ultimate back end of our faith and what we see in the New Testament. So today we carry on in this this idea, this emphasis on God's uh, community, God's church, and living life together uh, to help one another, to be known and to know others, and the focus this morning to encourage one another in this life, which often is very difficult, sometimes so difficult you wonder if you can even bear with it. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, where we have this rich passage about community. And I'm actually going to pick up at verse 23, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. It'll be on the screen. There it is. If you don't have a Bible or can't turn it on on your phone or can't find the page, much easier with those phone Bibles. So verse 23, let me read it aloud for us. The author says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's hang on to our faith, verse 23. How are we going to do that? He's going to give us some help in 24 and 25. We do that together, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as some, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me read verses 24 and 25 from the message translation this morning. Message paraphrase, I should say. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Let us consider, let us think, let us be intentional and think deeply, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then in verse 25, he's going to talk about encouraging one another. 
Now, if you're reading in the, in the ESV as I am this morning, you see that the word there, the first encouragement word is translated, let us stir up one another. If you look at it in the NIV, if you have the NIV this morning, uh, you might be reading the word spur. Or if you have the old NASB, which I know some in here die by, stimulate. Or the old KJV version, if you're a KJV guy, provoke. Let us stir, spur, stimulate, provoke. You see what all these various popular translations are getting at this idea of thinking carefully and intentionally about how to stir each other up or spur. I like that idea, right? Because it's, it's got a little kick in it, right? I mean, you're not, trying to, you're not trying to hurt the horse, but you're trying to get it going, right? Spur up one another or stimulate one another to what? To love and good deeds, love and good works. We can't just do that by getting in a big group this morning, although we can do that somehow as we know some people, but we can do that better tonight as we have some time to rub elbows with one another and catch up and get to know people that we don't quite maybe know as well. We can certainly do that in our small groups and in our, our community groups, our Bible studies. But the idea is that we're stirring up one another. I thought this week about those words and the encouragement there to stir up one another. I thought about what is it that the world wants to stir up? What is it that the world is stirring up in us? Anybody want to just throw something out there? I've got some things on my mind. What's the world stirring up? Political division. Okay, I was just going to say division, but you went there. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah. What's that? Controversy. Complaining. Uh, the world is stirring up discontent. They want me to walk into the mall. They want me to, you know, walk into Dick's Sporting Goods and, and be discontent at what I don't have. What else is the world stirring up? Doubt. Fear. Absolutely. Division, dissension, uh, inadequacy. Those of us are on social media, we're, we're dying because we're comparing, okay, our lives to the highlight reel of someone else. And so there's covetousness. Man, I didn't get a vacation like that. The world and things can stir up discontent rather than contentedness. Can stir up division and envy and strife. And just anger, whereas the scriptures are saying we are to be an alternative community, an alternate community, not of division and hate and discord and grumbling and complaining, but of love and good deeds. Amen. Who here this morning doesn't need stirred up a little bit? Because the fear has been in you this week, the comparison has been heavy on you this week, the discontentedness of things that aren't coming together, of how the business isn't taking off, how, how the kids are not coming along as well, how the sale hasn't been made. I asked, or I looked around this week at the need for encouragement that we have, that idea of encouragement. Encouragement means to press courage into, instead of being fearful, to be pressed in, have courage pressed into us talking to one of you this week who shared about a group of guys that he'd 
walked through life with in a previous season, how every one of them, as they got together and caught up, every guy in the group is struggling with some major kid issue or going through a tough marriage or has gotten divorced, but every person in the group, something major trouble going on. We have overwhelmed moms among us, grading unfulfilling jobs. I know several of you in the midst right now, a nervous time of job transition. What's next? What's going to work out? Very difficult marriages. Depression. We had a staff child this week in the hospital with a bacterial something, cellulitis. We had another young one with a staph infection in the hospital for several days. We've got cancer among us. We've got heart procedures coming up soon. There's a lot to be fearful about. There's a, there's a need for encouragement when that stuff's right at, uh, right at your forehead, right in your face, right? And the church is not just a come and get, fill up your car with gas for the next week, get full, and then see you next week at the pump. But it's a family that we're, we're born into this family of faith and our identity is not just singing and, and praying in a big group, but getting together in small groups. I met with a, with a friend for coffee this week and he said one little thing, just a sentence or two that encouraged me. Not just to get in the big group and then go on about our week, but to do life together and that encouragement has to, has to take place as we see the day drawing near, the implication of this text in the first century, if you read in your study Bible, they were not, they were not in easy times. In fact, the, the recipients of this letter were considering falling back to their old ways, going back to another faith that didn't have the persecution that the following of Jesus would have. It wasn't all rosy for them. And they needed to not neglect meeting together and to stir one another on to love and good deeds and encourage one another. And that is the emphasis of the New Testament in the church. I have a list here. I printed out a list here of all the one another statements. In fact, I didn't even print all of them out. It was a third page. But front and back here, there's 50-something, almost 60 one another commands in the New Testament. This is the stuff that you and I are supposed to be doing uh, in our community groups, in our Bible studies. Here's a sampling of them. Be at peace with, with one another. Love one another. That one happens over and over again. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Do not pass judgment on one another. Whoops. Welcome one another. Instruct one another, greet one another. Yes, greet one another with a holy kiss, it says, okay? Amen. We'll have to talk about that another time. Really makes me feel weird when Jason does that. <laughs> Care for one another. Through love, serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Just be kind to one another. You know, that's a radical thing in this divisive, dissenting, I'm trying to think of the right adjective, dissensionist, no, contentious, thank you, in this contentious world to just be kind to one another, to give people the benefit of the doubt. I know you said this and it came out bad, but I'm sure that's not 
what you meant, right? Just give people the benefit of the doubt. Be kind to one another. Addressing one another with songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submitting to one another. Forgiving each other. Encouraging one another. Building up one another. Exhorting one another. Serving one another. Show hospitality to one another. Confess your sins to one another. And in all those one another's, it doesn't say, and go to church weekly. Of course we're worshiping, of course we're gathering, of course we're being taught. But all those 50, 60, one and others are, be a family to one another. Be an alternative community from the culture that is around you. How do we do that? How do we do that? I've learned a lot of things uh, in marriage, not all that I can... Uh, share, have time to share uh, today, but one of the things Elizabeth uh, taught me when we first got married, there was a better way to stir the coffee than the way I did it. Because I always just poured the coffee and then I put the creamer and the sugar in and she said, actually, if you put the creamer in first and then the sugar, when you pour it, it'll actually stir it up too. You still have to stir it again, but that's a better way to stir it up. That's an important lesson, right? There are lots of different ways to stir things up. And that's the charge this morning. We need to stir one another up, spur one another on. And there's various ways to do that. One way I wasn't even aware of. Oh, that's a good idea. I've never even thought about stirring the coffee that way. Thank you. That's helpful. Life-changing. Man, I'm glad I, man, I'm glad I got you. How can we do that? I asked some people this week, what are just some practical things that encourage you, that have encouraged you? One person said, well, we had a death in our family. Someone just called me and said, I'm bringing a meal over. They didn't say, hey, do you need a meal? They didn't say, what day would you like it? They said, I'm bringing it over tonight. It'll be on your front doorstep on the porch. I heard about a community group this week who uh, one couple in the community group is going through a difficult time and they weren't kind of making their budget for the month and multiple members of the community group did a Venmo. I wasn't even familiar with this. That's a new PayPal thing apparently. And so people made these payments to Venmo and they, the response back from the couple that was kind of going through a hard time said, the, the gifts that you guys gave me almost ex- ma- exactly matched the budget shortfall that we had this month. Isn't that encouraging? Amen. Uh, just by an own example of your generosity, uh, the last two Sundays, people have come up to me with gift cards and said, I know there's people hurting in our church. You'd be surprised how much uh, financial instability, difficulty people go through. And so the last two Sundays, people have come up to me and given me gift cards and said, I want this to get to someone who needs it this month. These aren't all financial, but I, uh, I know that one of our uh, men's Bible studies helped uh, a brother with a car repair not too, not too long ago. People are taking Diana to church because obviously it'd take her a long time to wheel here. I don't know. She's been she's been cared for. People have reached out to her. People have sent her messages, gone to visit her. Um, I heard this great story this week, and John Bachelman's not here this morning, but Wendy's over there, so I'll I'll embarrass Wendy as well as Bill Bill over here. But I heard this great story. You know, Garrett is three, four, three and a half. So uh, a while back, 
Wendy and John were asking Garrett who his favorite friends were, who his friends were at school and who his friends were at church. And he named off the, you know, the typical three and a half, four-year-olds that he goes to school with or people here at the church. And then he said, Mr. Bill, Mr. Bill Teal, who's sitting right over here. And John followed up and said, oh, you like Mr. Bill, don't you? And he said, no, I don't like Mr. Bill. I love Mr. Bill. I knew that would get you. Isn't that awesome, though? That's what I want for my kids, to have adoptive aunt and uncles and grandparents, I guess it's okay to say that, who love my kids, who encourage me, who encourage my kids, who encourage uh, us in our parenting. Sometimes just your presence at the Bible study, just your presence in the ABF class, just your presence in the community, you're showing up consistently is an encouragement. Initiating a coffee or a lunch with someone that we're just wanting to encourage and get to know someone better. I was reminded this week of this quote that I heard about 15 years ago, and I tried to track down who the source was, but I couldn't find it this week. But the quote, I'll never forget it, it goes like this. It says, the willingness to consciously waste time with a friend is a silent affirmation of their importance in our lives. The willingness to consciously waste time with a friend is a silent affirmation of their importance in our lives. You know what else I think would be radical in addition to that passage that I read earlier? Be kind to one another. It's kind of radical today. There's a couple other things that I think would be radical. Is if I could go, you guys are texting me, uh, is if I could just go to Starbucks and meet a friend and put this in my pocket. Maybe I need to turn the alarm on when I have to pick up the kids or whatever, but to put this in my pocket and not pull it out during that entire lunch or coffee. That might be radical. You know what else I think is going to be radical as Christians in the coming months and years ahead? Show hospitality to one another. You know how rare that is these days? I feel like my parents weren't the best entertainers, but we, we had people into our home. We had people over for cookouts. It could be a radical thing in your neighborhood or amongst your church family to just invite people over for hospitality. It's not rocket science. Not brain science, rocket surgery, whatever you say it. Mix of metaphors. But just practical ways of stirring it up. You got to give a little thought to your nature. Some of you have probably heard of that book. Maybe you've done it for premarital counseling, uh, The Five Love Languages. You know, is it just time spent? Some people really appreciate the gift given. Some people really appreciate words of affirmation. You know, your pastor uh, isn't always full of the Spirit himself. In the last, last couple months, I've, I've had some real times of discouragement. I found out that as I voiced those with a few people that really know me and love me, brothers and sisters, that even just voicing those things and having people pray for me helped some of those clouds to lift a little bit. Just sending somebody a text. Just sending somebody, or here's a radical one, sending a handwritten note these days. 
of encouraging one another to not waver in our faith. Again, it goes back to our trust in Jesus. Look again at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What does that mean? It means, it implies that we're inclined to waver, doesn't it? It, it's in, it implies that sometimes we think that God may not be faithful to us, but that we can really truly trust him. But we need the encouragement of one another to keep it up. I love it uh, when someone can make things simple for me. And I found this week the Apostle John has a great way of doing that. And 1 John, there's some really simple nuggets in there. But 1 John 3, 23, just get down to business here. It says, and this is his commandment, that we believe the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Man, don't you just love the simplicity of that? This is his command, to trust Jesus, to put our faith in Jesus, and then to love one another. Just be kind to one another. Just encourage one another. So here's the application today. Stir it up. Stir it up. And as I said earlier, the best way to do this, although it can happen on Sunday morning at 1030 in some small ways, is to get in one of our groups, to join our ABF class, to join a men's or ladies' Bible study. Ladies' Bible study starts on Tuesday. To commit yourself, to be present in a community group where you can find out how you can serve others and how you can be encouraged by being in a group. You can encourage people tonight by showing up and watching them be baptized and cheering for them in this major statement of faith, baptism. Get in a group, stir it up. Here's the motivation for doing that. The motivation for doing that is this three-in-one God in Jesus. Who, what did he do? He came and was present among us. He came down close. He moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson said. He gave us words of affirmation, blessing from God the Father, so that the blessing that was on Jesus is now on us. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He gave us the gift of salvation. He's the ultimate lover of our soul. And therefore, we love because he first loved us. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come to you this morning and every person in this room, I believe, most of us, have things that are tough right now. And it's easy to go Monday through Saturday and be discouraged. And I pray that you would create in us not just religious consumers, but a community, a family of brothers and sisters who get to know one another, who love one another, who sacrifice for one another, and who help one another navigate by faith this wonderful, beautiful, often difficult life that you've entrusted to us. God, change us. Change us by your spirit. Change us through your word and work by your spirit and your word as we gather together with one another. It's for your beautiful name we pray.